Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 4 to 7. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eric, for reading that passage for us this morning. Uh, I have a couple of things I want to mention before getting into the sermon itself. The first is uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, Christmas morning falls on a Sunday this year, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. Let me tell you what we're going to do about that, okay? Here's the plan. We will have a regular worship service on Christmas morning. It'll just be one service. It'll be at 10 a.m. It's going to last around 45 minutes. It's going to be filled with all kinds of Christmas morning goodness. You may be on the fence about church on Christmas morning, and so I wanted to offer just a few points for you to consider as you make your plans if you're in town, and they are these. Number one. Christ Presbyterian Church Cool Springs is a local church and a real community. So those who call this church home may think of this place as theirs. You may think of this church as, that is my church. That is what I want you to feel. That's how I want you to think. Um, Also, we are a local house of worship in the Franklin Cool Springs area that is open to the public. You may think of me as your pastor. I hope you do. But even as that's the case, I recognize that I I am also a clergyman. I'm a clergyman in this part of town and that my role is is to be available to any who would come to church on the Lord's Day when the services are posted. So Unless weather or anything beyond our control happens, Christ Pres Cool Springs will hold public worship services on Sunday mornings, no matter how they coincide with holidays, and I will be here to lead them. So that's point number one. Point number two, we recognize that this is a special holiday and a Christian one at that. And so on the one hand, we really want to honor the rhythm of family gatherings and traditions, and we're going to do that by holding a pretty streamlined, very family-friendly, briefer-than-usual service. And at the same time, we really want to take advantage of the fact that Christmas falls on the Lord's Day this year, to take advantage of the beautiful opportunity that we have to gather as the Lord's people on the Lord's Day to celebrate the birth of our Lord. And so for this service, what we're going to do is we're going to have everybody together here in this room. 
There won't be any children's programming. We're not going to take the communion table uh, that morning. So if you want to bring family members along who might not consider themselves to be Christian people, then we, we want to be sensitive to that uh, and, and, and offering a very approachable and yet gospel-clear time of celebration and worship. Kids, if kids want to come to church in their pajamas, awesome. I will not be in my pajamas. <laughs> Finally, know this. There is grace. There's grace. If you have reasons for not coming on Christmas morning and you're in town, nobody is going to judge you. Nobody's going to judge you. I'm not going to keep a list. You're not going to be on a list anywhere. It's going to be a sweet morning here. And my hope is that as many as can come will come so that we can celebrate the birth of our Lord together on the Lord's Day on December 25th. Second thing I want to mention is year-end giving. We're in the month of December now, and December is a month that historically we look at as being, being a month that brings in between 25 and maybe even 30 to 35 percent of the church's annual tithes and offerings. Um, we are in a season right now where we're looking very strategically at what the Lord has for us in this coming season, and the Lord has provided so well for this church over the years. He's taken great care of us, but we're also looking ahead to things. There's so many more things uh, that we want to see be a part of the rhythm of this church, and so we're continually growing, and your generosity during the month of December goes a long way uh, toward the strategy and the planning and the execution of things uh, on, on the the part of the elder team and the staff as we're looking ahead. So, so I want to encourage you as you're thinking about your year-end giving to give to Christ Presbyterian Church Cool Springs. Okay. Isaiah 53. What a passage. This is one of those texts that just shines. Uh, it's poetic. It's such a beautiful description of the ministry of our Lord Jesus. It was written before the birth of our Lord Jesus, and it's just magical. And so I'm looking forward to unpacking this pretty briefly with us this morning. This past weekend, um, Lisa and I and, and our son Theo, we, we Franklined hard. We, we really did. We went to the tree lighting ceremony on Friday night in downtown Franklin. We went to the parade yesterday. And we, we live in a place where we can walk. Uh, you know, we're about a mile and a half from the circle in downtown Franklin. And so it's a, it's a joy for us to be able to just walk to downtown Franklin. And it strikes me as a town, we've lived in Franklin now for just a little over a year. It's straight out of a Hallmark movie, right, Franklin? In fact, there's probably Hallmark movies that have been shot in Franklin. There's probably a waiting list. There's probably somebody in the Franklin government who has the job of dealing with Hallmark. That's my guess. I don't know. But what it reminds me of is it reminds me of a classic small town from the 1980s or the 1950s even. And I grew up in one of those. I grew up in a small, classic American town from that era. And so I want to ask you to imagine with me some things, okay? First, I want you to imagine a classic American small town from that era. And, I, and the second thing I want you to imagine is I want you to imagine yourself as a 12-year-old, okay? So just be 12 years old with me in a classic American town, and let's just walk around it for a second. What do you got? Well, you got the barber shop with that barber pole that you can see up and down the sidewalk. You've got that pizza place where all the kids hang out, right? And then there's the, the public library, and just kind of down the street from it is the sheriff's office. It's got the jail 
in the sheriff's office and some of the windows you can see the jail bars and you're fascinated because you're 12 about that. You've got the, uh, the bakery, the cafe with that great bakery that's been in that town for 30 years and it's dependable. You can get the same thing that you're, you've been getting since the time you were born. There's that park, the city park, right, that has the ball fields and the water tower next to the hospital, you know. And there's the, uh, the town square. The town square is where the parade route goes through. It's where the judges sit and they watch the floats. It's where the bands are really kind of in their, in their prime. They're focused. They're locked in. Can you see it? Are you with me in the town? It's a nice town. Now let's think about some of the people. You've got the mayor, right? You've got the school superintendent. You're 12, so you don't really know what he does. You just know he's there. And then you've got the sheriff. You've got that clergyman who walks around with the clerical collar. And that's fascinating. You've got the crossing guard that you see twice a day. And the small business owner who just seems to be everywhere all the time. Still with me? There's more, right? We could add more, but, but you're there. These, these fixtures were part of a town, growing, they were part of growing up in a small town in America in the 1980s when I was growing up. And as a kid, I inherently understood that these places and these people made up the community I was in. They, they, were, they were part of the fabric of the community. And so those people in those places were really part of my story. I couldn't separate them from my own upbringing and my own day-to-day experiences. They were just characters in it. This is how it was for the people of Israel. This is how it was for them. Only instead of a culture of sandlot baseball and pizza joints, theirs was a culture of sacrifice. And instead of there being a local pastor walking around, there were priests. And instead of a local church with a big, tall, white steeple, they had the tabernacle in the middle of town. And instead of nativity scenes at Christmas on the courthouse square, they had blood on the doorposts of their homes at Passover. And the children, the 12-year-olds, the 7-year-olds, they were there to ask about the blood. What's the blood mean? And the adults were charged by God to tell them. Tell them what it means. Children have inquisitive minds. They want to make sense of their world. And so there were these men in their communities among the 12 tribes of Israel who must have held for them this mysterious presence. People who forever smelled like smoke and iron and were often spattered with flecks of blood. And when one of these men would pass by on the street, the the child would stare as their parent would explain, daughter, that man's work is bloody because it's holy. And that man was the priest, and the iron was the scent of the blood that he wore like a residue of the sacrifices that he offered on behalf of the people for their sin. And that river of blood flowed as far back as any of them could recall. 
all the way back to their slave days in Egypt when the Lord delivered them from Pharaoh's tyrannical rule, but not before sending the devastating plague that took all the firstborn sons in the land. What a catastrophe. What a heartbreak. The only families who survived that catastrophe were those who sacrificed a lamb and smeared its blood over the doorposts of their homes. And God's people grew up in a culture of sacrifice. And they spoke this language. They spoke the language of sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, they would say. And so that priesthood carried on. And it carried on from one generation to the next, along with their bloody work all the way down to the time of the birth of Jesus. And the priest's work, his work was sacrificial. It was ritual on behalf of the people. And so he was deeply respected and he was probably also, in a way, probably feared that he had this proximity We catch a glimpse of his work in Hebrews 9, which I'll show you the passage here. The priests, entered, is, our, is our projector down? Okay, oh, I thought it was, okay. The priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So this was the priest's work. And his work was intriguing, but his workplace was intriguing too. The place where he worked, it was the tabernacle. It was the focal and spiritual center of the Israelite culture. And its designer was God himself. If you want to understand the tabernacle, read the book of Exodus. It's in there. It's in there like three times it's described. One peculiar feature of the tabernacle was that it had no place for the priest to sit. There was no place for the priest to sit down. Why? Well, the reason for that was because his holy and vitally important work was never done. It was never over. And so as we turn to Isaiah now, we see that this language of sacrifice permeated Israel's history as a nation so much that it's here in the words of the prophet, writing long before the Exodus, writing or long after the Exodus, long after the fall of Jericho, long after the reign of King David. Isaiah is describing the one who would deliver the people of God who are now living in Assyrian captivity. And he uses the language of sacrifice and describes our deliverer not as a priest, but as the sacrificial lamb himself who would bear the punishment that would bring us peace with our maker. And he says, and he would remain silent in the process of doing it. That lamb is Jesus. His wounds would heal us. He would atone for our sins. He would deliver us. And so we have to remember that that blood that he shed, that blood was not to keep some evil force at bay. It was not to keep some demonic spirit from having complete control. That blood was to satisfy the wrath of a holy, perfect God. Jesus, the baby in the manger, 
our perfect sacrifice would bear for us the punishment, the wrath that would bring us peace with God, the sinless one in the place of the sinful. And so when we look into that manger, we're looking at God's extraordinary gift of love. We're looking at the gift of his son, Jesus. And the gifts of all that Jesus would teach and the gifts of all the miracles that he would perform and all the inspiration that he would proclaim to every continent throughout every generation, ever since and still, all those things together would be unable to cover over and atone for our sins without his sacrifice. Without the incarnation, without that body, without that blood, we would have no hope. But because of that body, because of that blood, Jesus has entered into a holier place than a man-made tabernacle and has done so by means of the blood holier than a lamb's. Hebrews 9 again, we continue reading as he describes the ministry of Jesus. When Christ came as high priest, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? This Christmas... Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the tenderness of Jesus and his purposefulness in atoning for your sin. Behold the baby, that great high priest. This holiday, it's a holy day. It's a holy day where God has done business with humanity. And not only are we spared, and not only has his judgment passed over us, but his wrath has been satisfied. Because of the birth of the baby in the manger, God's judgment has finally been poured out once and for all on Jesus. What was accomplished? What was accomplished when he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him and by his wounds we are healed. What was accomplished when we all like sheep had gone astray and each had turned to his own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all? What was accomplished when he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth and he was like a lamb led to the slaughter? What's at the heart of this holiday? Hebrews again, last time. Hebrews 10 gives us an astonishing answer to what was accomplished. 
Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. There is a more perfect tabernacle. It is the throne room of God himself. And in it, there is a chair. And in that chair sits Jesus, our great high priest, who has brought us peace with God And by his wounds, we are healed. There are a million lessons that we should strive to learn during the holiday season, but no amount of lessons learned can ever be a substitute for worshiping at the feet of Jesus, our Savior, our man of sorrows, our priest who became our sacrifice. So in response... To our great high priest, may our celebration of Christmas be marked by our worship of Jesus. Father, we confess that when we speak of wrath and we speak of your holiness and we speak of sacrifice and blood being shed, it offends our senses. Because there's a part of us that wishes that the way it all worked was that you were just cool with us and that you didn't mind that we lived unholy lives. And yet your desire for us is not to remain in our sin and brokenness, but your desire for us is to know what it is to relate to you as you are, holy and perfect and glorious and loving and gracious, and kind, and merciful, generous. And our sin so confuses us. And so you give us mercy upon mercy, and grace upon grace, and the gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, during the Advent season, we've been doing the Advent wreath earlier in the service, and so after the sermon, we're moving into the corporate confession of sin, followed by the assurance of pardon as we prepare to go to the Lord's table. And on the heels of a passage,